Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast sponsored by Overdrive. Emma here. And for today's episode, we have a really fun group of people to talk about the best books that they've read in 2022. So this will include a nice variety of titles, but lots of new releases from this year. So I want to say welcome to my guests, Kristen, Maria, Holly, and Jane. Hello. Oh, <laughs> I almost Hi, did Emma. that with the same tone as Kristen. <laughs> Welcome. So all of you have been on PBN before many times, but I think it's been a while since we've all been on together in a nice, a nice book ladies group. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very happy to have you all here to share what your best reads of 2022 were. We have a nice variety of authors and books and topics, and I am going to make everyone say a little bit about themselves though, just for our listeners, what your job is at Overdrive and what you like reading. And I'm going to make Maria start. Um, Hi, everybody. I'm Maria. Um, I am the team lead for the public library collection development team here at Overdrive, which is the team of digital content librarians. And what am I what am I saying? Oh, reading. What did I like to read? Well, as you'll see from my picks, I like to read fantasy and I like to read romance and I also like to read fantasy romance. Um, I also like to read sci fi and and have been known to uh, read a a comic or graphic novel from time to time. Yay. Thank you, Maria. Kristen, what about you? Hi, I am Kristen. I am a digital content librarian on the public library teams at Overdrive. I work specifically with California and Hawaii. So as it's getting cold here in the Midwest, I like to think about California and how warm a lot of them are. I tend to read, in the past couple of years, I've been reading a lot of horror. I also like romance and mystery, and I, too, enjoy dabbling in graphic novels and comics. Yay, you'll recognize Kristen's voice from several of our comics and graphic novel episodes earlier in the year. And Holly, I'm going to make you go next. Hi, Emma. I am an account manager at Overdrive. I work with um, specifically the what we call the bluegrass territory. <laughs> it's Kentucky, Tennessee, and Indiana. Uh, so I help all of those libraries with uh, kind of all things Overdrive in general. And um, before that, I was a digital content librarian. I worked with um, all the other gals in this group. Uh, it was the best of times. <laughs> I read a lot of autobiographical 
things, personal essays, memoirs. Uh, it's kind of always been my go-to, but I love a quirky character novel too. Thank you, Holly. And Jane, what about you? Hi, my name is Jane Whitehurst, and I am a digital digital content librarian here at Overdrive. Um, my favorite genres are literary fiction and a bit of YA, some humor, and a bit of um, biography and memoir thrown in there for fun. And I think that's all that you asked me for. Yay! So this is our librarian group. I'm really excited to hear what your picks are for the best things you've read in 2022. So in no particular order, who wants to start with their first pick? I'll do it. Go for it. Okay. Um, The first book I'm going to talk about is probably my favorite book of the year. And that is Daughter of the Moon Goddess by Sulin Tan. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, sorry. No, totally. I'm happy you're here with me. (laughs) Um, I think Maria and I both fought over who is going to get to talk about this book. (laughs) It was so good. I listened to the audiobook of it, and the audiobook is read by Natalie Nottis, and I really love this audiobook narrator. She's fantastic. She also has a really great TikTok that I enjoy watching, Um, and just found out that this book was nominated for the Goodreads Goodreads Choice Awards for 2022 for Best Fantasy. This is an adult fantasy. I would feel very comfortable handing this book to a teen. Um, This is a Chinese mythology retelling, and it is a duology, and the second book has just come out, so that is very exciting. If you haven't read this first one, go ahead and read it, because you do not have to wait for the second one to come out. Um, this is the story of uh, Shin Yin. Am I saying that correctly? Shin Yin, yes. I'm almost positive that's right. I looked it up before this to make sure I had it right. It's been a bit since I've listened to it. Uh, And she, as the title tells you, is the daughter of the moon goddess. The moon goddess has been exiled to the moon by the celestial emperor. And Xing Yin wants to get her mom basically out of exile. So she ends up running away from the moon in order to figure out how to do this. The thing is, no one knows that the moon goddess has a daughter. So she basically goes to the celestial kingdom um, without anyone knowing who she is. And she works her way up through the army there, ends up maybe having some feelings for the uh, prince of the celestial kingdom. And uh, they go on all of these missions together. She's trying to get this metal that will basically give her a whatever she wants the celestial emperor will grant her like one wish basically and she's going to try and use that wish if she can get this uh metal to set her mother free this is such a fun novel i went on walks around my neighborhood just so I could listen to it. I would, you know, stick it in my car every time I was driving anywhere. I couldn't put it down. And the thing that's even better about this is this is the author's debut novel. There are, I think, three or two of the books I'm going to talk about today are debuts. It's just fantastic. Uh, Maria, was there anything I missed that you wanted to talk about? 
No, I, I, I agree. So I did not listen to it. I, I read it um, on ebook, but I, I agree. It's a really good crossover novel. And I actually, like when I started reading, I was like, wait, how is this being marketed? Because like, I couldn't even remember. It just sounded good. So I put it on hold. Um, yeah. But I, I think like the character development in it is so good. Um, and, and the, twist that I did not see coming of course which is is always great yeah uh, yeah and then I think the second one came out today so oh. I know I recommended it um to one of my libraries so I'm hoping that I that I have the whole available soon <laughs> I also just like love a duology because I feel like the older I get the less I can actually like put towards like very long series um and if so it's only like a very specific series and I, I can't like handle other ones so I like that this is only going to be two books. <laughs> I agree. I usually start a series and I'll read the first book just so I can kind of get like the flavor for what's happening. And then I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to read the rest, but I will say with this series, I want to read the second book. And again, mm-hmm. I'm not intimidated by that because I know it's only two books. Yeah. And the, the sequel or the conclusion to the duology is called heart of the sun warrior. It came out today. All of these covers are stunning. And that's my contribution to <laughs> that discussion. The covers are gorgeous. Yes. They're so beautiful. Now who's going to come in with our next pick of their favorite books of the year? Jane. Okay. Um, one of my next picks is we all want impossible things by Catherine Newman. This is one of the most fun, funny, heartwarming books about death that I've read in many years. The book is about our main character whose best friend is dying of cancer. And it is kind of her journey through grieving, the anticipatory grief process. And it also kind of looks back at the friend's history throughout their lives and all of the growing up and changes they've done together. So it breaks your heart, but it's told in such a beautiful and relatable way that I could not put it down. I loved it very, very much. So I highly recommend it. I feel like I want to make the disclaimer that Jane reads a lot of books that would make everybody cry like uncontrollably. It is true. This is a very like Jane book, although it sounds, it sounds amazing. (laughs) I do like a crier. I can't help it. I blame (laughs) Lurleen McDaniels and all of those like sick kid books that I read when I was a teenager. Yeah. I do appreciate a book though. This says, get ready to laugh through your tears. So there's levity Mm -hmm. with all of the sadness. It's maybe the only way I could read it. (laughs) Yeah. The main character is very, she's very, funny and cheeky and she's dealing with her grief in very interesting ways number one by sleeping with a couple of the doctors at the hospital (laughs) so there's all this like kind of messiness to it um that I really appreciated because you know people deal with these things in such different ways so I appreciate the you know how raw and honest it is I love that. And I love that it sounds like there are two sides of the coin there so that there's a little bit of fun to help people cope and process with these things that everybody has to go through at one point or another. Yeah. So we've already got two extremely appealing and different picks that we've talked about so far. <laughs> Who's next? Holly. I, Maria. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Holly. Oh no, I just unmuted myself simultaneously. Well, then <laughs> I'll uh, to follow Jane talk about uh, one of my favorite books of all time called There Is No Good Card for This 
what to say and do when life is scary, awful, and unfair to people you love by Kelsey Crow and Emily McDowell. So the first time I read this book was when my grandma died in 2017. And I've read it a couple more times since then because my experience with the situations and the suggestions within are always growing and changing and hearkening to what Jane just said, no two experiences with loss are the same for anyone. We all deal different. Um, and we've all put our foot in our mouth in a sensitive situation with a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, an acquaintance, and the list goes on because literally no one can escape the struggle of being human. This book is broken into helpful sections for easy reference, or you could just read the whole thing. Uh, it's also full of really important tips to help navigate everything from illness to miscarriage to job loss. It's not just about um, grieving after death. One of the most salient tips that's stuck with me all these years is that it's always better to do something than nothing, which of course is oftentimes the much harder choice. Uh, but each time you reach out, it makes the next time easier. Uh, and this book definitely is a companion. I own it hard copy. I pick it up every year or so just to kind of uh, refresh and make sure I'm, you know, doing what I can for the people I love. And it's also a gorgeous book. Emily McDowell joins Dr. Kelsey Crow with stunning illustrations. They're so cute. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure digital edition as well. You'll be able to see those. But if anyone wants to borrow this, just let me know. I've got you. <laughs> Jane and Holly, have either of you read Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed? Oh my gosh. I feel yes. Like yes. I <laughs> loved that book. And that feels like it'd be right up your alley. Uh, it's Dear Sugar, which was like an mm -hmm. advice column. Um, and so it's uh, specific columns from that she answered. And they are so beautifully written. And just the advice in them that she gives is very straightforward and like down to earth. Um, I would highly suggest, uh, at least Jane, since you haven't read this, that you read this and Holly, just go reread it. Yeah, they just <laughs> well, put out a 10th anniversary for that one. Yeah. So it's, on, it's been oh, on my wow. radar. Okay. I would love to be an advice columnist. So I feel like I definitely need to read this. this yeah, I feel oh, like you'd gosh. be such a good advice columnist. <laughs> I really you would be. I, I like to be in other people's business. So I feel like <laughs> that'd be a good job for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did read that one during um, a breakup in my 20s and got a lot of, um, I laughed through the tears as uh, we say now. <laughs> this looks so good. And I think it's true. Like I often find myself wanting to say something when I hear of a situation or do something. And there's that, that sort of fear, like, what do I say? This is so awkward. If you say the wrong thing, sometimes saying like, oh, I'm sorry, doesn't feel appropriate. So I just put this book on hold. Thank you. Holly. Yeah, I did too. I, I think that's, that's really great. Cause I always feel like, okay, well, it, it, it's not like what, what would I want people to say to me is not necessarily going to work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's, yeah, that's always, it's always nice to read about things like that to get other people's viewpoints, especially if you're dealing with that and you're not really sure what to do. Agreed. Especially as we continue into adulthood, I feel like more and more situations come up where I don't know what the appropriate response is. And I am certainly looking for tips on how to handle life. Yeah. So I still don't feel like I 
know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think that brings us to Maria's pick. Okay. Mine is not similar. So I am going to talk about one of my favorite books of the year, um, which actually just came out at the beginning of this month. Um, It was Ocean's Echo by Everina Maxwell. Um, It is a sci-fi novel with a a bit of a romance in it. Um, It's a standalone space adventure. It's in the same uh, universe as her first kind of debut novel. I think they've had some other um, smaller novellas written, but Winter's Orbit was a really big hit that I loved and probably talked about at some point um, to everyone. So they are standalone, but the universe is the same. So if you really liked Winter's Orbit, I highly recommend this. I think I liked it more than Winter's Orbit. Uh, actually, I know I did, but uh, they're both phenomenal. Uh, but this is about um, a rich socialite who's like just this like this habitual flirt. He's like kind of just like a general adult disaster. And his name is Tenelhin Helkana. He can read minds. He's a neuromodified reader. Basically, readers are kind of like these like wild cards in this society where when they're controlled, they're an asset, but when they're kind of left to do their own thing, people kind of like don't trust them stuff like that. Um, so Tennell is just causing a bunch of problems in his general life and he gets conscripted into the military without much of an explanation. And so he's placed into the care of this Lieutenant whose name is Surat. Surat's like a very like by the book duty bound soldier. He's like a new kind of leader in like his branch of the military. Um, and whereas Tennell can read minds, Surat has the other type of kind of mind power that's in this book. And he can basically influence them. So they're called architects. And so he can kind of like write somebody and make them do something for a period of time. So they kind of have different types of neuro modifications. And they're basically have been very shadily conscripted to do this sync where Sura is supposed to be able to basically control Tennel wherever they are. And they're like, like that for life. And they won't really tell them why um, and everything. And so Tennel clearly does not want this to happen because he pretty much loses control of his life. And Sura is like, I'm not doing this if, if he is not consenting to do this. So they fake it and they pretend that they're synced to carry out this mission. But then of course, as a lot of sci-fi missions go, there's a bunch of like underhanded things happening and political machinations going on. And they find some rubble that is like really powerful and it upends like a decades old power struggle and a war starts. And amidst all of this, Tennell and Surat are like, you know, learning about one another. They're very different personalities. They're attracted to each other and they're really supporting each other through you know, this horrible situation that they've been put in. Um, And so they kind of are uh, not to have too many spoilers, but basically their, their ruse does not end well, as far as that goes. Um, But they are still trying to kind of bring about peace in their own way um, in this kind of war that has started while they're working on this. So I really like this because I thought there's no way after the gem that was winner's orbit, that this is going to be just as good, but I stayed up late to finish this. The plot is great. Maxwell's take on like mind powers was, I feel like that can get really like, I don't, I don't want to say hokey, but it, it can and to, just get very like hokey sci-fi, I guess, if you don't treat it well. And I thought that their treatment of powers of the mind was like really fascinating. And I think also like the potential like questions about um, 
how and why mind power should be used in this way was also just a really interesting take on society. And Tennell is hilarious. He's very sassy. He has a lot of like witty com- comebacks and teases Surrett a lot. And I thought in the beginning of the book, like, oh, Surrett's going to have this like 180 and he's not going to be so like tight laced. Not true. He just ends up becoming more himself and he's just this very reliable um, character. And it's just really cool to see how they play off one another. So I really, really loved it. I read it in like two days. Um, She's like, Maxwell's like my new favorite sci-fi author for sure. So highly recommend, even if you're not like a huge sci-fi person, it's great. This sounds like a good entree into sci-fi if you don't normally read it, which yeah. I would say I don't normally read it, but this piqued my interest based on your recommendation. Yeah, it's really fun. And it's a standalone. So, you know, that's always fun too. That is nice from time to time to not have to delve into, like we said, a big giant series. (laughs) Okay. I think that brings us back to Kristen. What is your next pick? Yeah. So I'm going for a bit of an older title. Uh, This is A Night in Lonesome October by Roger Zelazny. It was originally published in 1993, and this is kind of cosmic horror mystery. Um, There's a lot of humor in it. This was a really fun read, and I was reading about it after I had already read it. And it said a lot of people tend to read this during the month of October, and they would do a chapter a day because it literally is each chapter is one day in the month of October. Um, So maybe next year I will reread this and do exactly that. This is the story of Snuff who is a guard dog for a man named Jack, who happens to be a knife-wielding gentleman. And uh, Jack and Snuff are playing a game, along with a number of other players, some of which sound very familiar from some classic horror novels, such as, oh, let's see, who are they? There's The Monk, The Mad Monk, The Witch, The Vicar, The Count, The Good Doctor, and then a lot of other familiar faces. So, and there also happens to be a great detective who's kind of on the side of things, watching over everything. So it's really fun picking up on all of these classic novels that we all kind of know. And as you're reading this book, you're trying to figure out what is happening? What is this game? What are they all trying to do? And Snuff is a really fun character. Um, He is very intelligent and trying to figure out the coordinates for where the game will end up taking place, which that happens at the very end of the book, and then who all the players are. And each of the players also has Um, a cohort who is also an animal. So Snuff ends up like chit-chatting with the witch's cat and they're friendly together. And there's a rat and a snake and an owl. And so they all just kind of like talk back and forth. And that's where a lot of the dialogue comes from this. This was a lot of fun to read. It went really quickly. I would highly suggest this if you're looking for something that's very, very light horror um and kind of a fun different mystery this was unlike anything I'd really ever read before so I really enjoyed this book I love that it's just a knife wielding man named Jack is the description (laughs) like (laughs) roaming the streets of London that was the thing I was like 
all right, so this is Jack the Ripper, right? And that's kind of the thing. No, no one is ever like, it's never, you know, Frankenstein or anything like that. It's like the good doctor and then like the mm-hmm. mad scientist, things like that, where you're like, is that Rasputin? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like those subtle references to characters that we might already know. Yes. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. I think for our next pick, I've already forgotten the order we're going in. I think it's Jane. Is it you, Jane? It's you. Sure. Okay. Um, my next pick is Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting by Claire Pooley. This one has a lot of different elements that all come together for just a delightful, feel-good read. Um, we meet Iona, who is an advice columnist who rides the train every single day and has very rigid rules for um, riding the train, which includes not speaking to anybody, not getting involved with anybody, and basically kind of being an island of one on her daily commute. Um, She has nicknames for everyone that she sees regularly on the train. And one day, the smart but sexist manspreader, who is her nickname for one of the men on the train, uh, chokes on a grape, and she is forced to break one of her rules and help him uh, by giving him the Heimlich Maneuver. Um, After she helps him, Others on the train start to speak to her and the wall that she has built is kind of broken down Um, and she becomes friends with these four other um, people on the train um, from all different demographics and ages. Uh, These friends form this little group um, when they realize that Iona as an advice columnist with all these years of wisdom and knowledge and really good communication skills can help them solve their problems. So Iona basically, um, whether she wants to or not, becomes involved in all of their lives and helps them with their interpersonal relationships and um, the different issues that they all have. It is adorable. It's feel good, but not corny. There are a lot of themes of, you know, grief and aging and staying relevant in your career. Um, There are family themes. There's a little bit of romance. Um, It was a delight. I want this to be optioned for a film after that. It would be such a good film. 
I picture Tilda Swinton as Iona <gasps> because she's impeccably dressed and very well put together throughout oh, the book. Love it. Um, yes, it would be wonderful for that. Or like a yeah. miniseries, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That sounds really, I'm, I, I remember seeing that cover because it's like very colorful and fun. But I, I love that, that premise. That's awesome. And I love that we were just talking about how you wanted to be an advice columnist earlier. So this is definitely a Jane pick. I want to be Iona. (laughs) Amazing. Our next pick is from Holly. That was a great little uh, lead into my next one. Um, The the film option part, um, because the next title I'm going to talk about is written by Erica Sanchez. And um, she's the author of I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. And um, America Ferreira like bought the rights to that or something. And uh, it is going to, I think it's Netflix, going to be a a program of some sort. I don't know if it's a mini series or a film or what, um, but very excited about that. Erica Sanchez is wonderful. Um, The book that I read and would love to talk about is called Crying in the Bathroom, (laughs) which is, uh, (laughs) you know, I loved reading the book, but Crying in the Bathroom is not something I love doing. But because y'all know now that my favorite genre is memoir slash personal essays, um, in particular by clever and sassy women, uh, this one had to go on my list as soon as I saw it. I think Jane probably had this one on her TBR too. Uh, My mom read it, so I just, I had to. And, you know, once I started, I couldn't stop. I read this in a few hours one night. From the very first essay, I was just blown away by the author's honesty and comfortable tone. And by the end, as they say, I laughed, I cried, I Googled the author for an hour because now I feel like she and I are close personal friends. Um, Her experiences with things like depression, dating, and sex that she writes the essays about don't necessarily mirror mine, but the way that she navigates them and the insight she shares broke my heart. Uh, But then, you know, she built me right back up again, page after page. The writing is at times serious, but it's also wildly funny. You'll learn something, you'll feel seen, and you'll laugh your ass off. This looks so good. Very articulate of me. But I feel like (laughs) Crying in the Bathroom is also a really good title because I feel like it's something that everyone's done at least one time. doesn't particularly want to do again <laughs> it's really office, at the bar yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh my god it's really fitting for the essays I think um because like that can be such a vulnerable and uncomfortable thing and a lot of the uh, experiences that she writes about about racism about being a woman about dating um about her body things like that um are really vulnerable things to like explore for yourself and then especially write about in a book that everyone's going to read. So yeah, I think that that title is very fitting. I just added this to my TBR. I also love that she sounds, I think she sounds like she's the same age ish as us. So I'm intrigued to see what her experiences were and if I have anything to contribute there. And Maria, what about your next pick? Okay, my next pick is The Perfect Crimes of Marion Hayes by Kat Sebastian. Um, I love everything that Kat Sebastian writes. Um, This is her newest, and it's the second in her, I believe it's called London Highwaymen series. And the first one was with uh, Kit. And this is Kit's best friend, uh, Marion Hayes. So 
Marion Hayes is a, uh, we kind of opens with the end of the first series. Um, she shot her husband. He totally deserved it. It was, it had to happen. He was a terrible person. Um, but now she obviously has to flee. And the only person that she really can ask is Kit's friend, Rob, who is a very charismatic uh, outlaw who uh, had been missing for a while and is actually currently blackmailing her for money. <laughs> so it's really fun. Really fun premise. What a um, twist. So, I know. And and it's like right, right off the bat, she has these letters that he's been writing. Um, so it kind of starts as this like epistolary novel and these blackmail letters become like very much like love letters like like very like sassy love letters it's it's really really cool um so rob brooks is um basically trying to keep a secret of his own from coming out and he is blackmailing this duke's wife he doesn't know who she is um and then when she comes to him for help it like kind of all comes together in that way um and she is a very tenacious person like she doesn't show a lot of emotion and is kind of like very like direct and a little bit bossy um but but when she cares about somebody she will do like whatever it takes to make sure they're safe and that she can help them and that sort of thing so she's like i gotta i gotta be on the run i just shot my husband he's dead and she ends up meeting him and leaves him tied up at a cdn and like tries to run away herself um so eventually they're both kind of fleeing across the country together. Um, and, you know, it goes from being just like this really, you know, harrowing experience to they're finding a lot of true like happiness and peace with each other. So it's really, it's really cool. There's like some usual tropes as far as like, there's only one bed at the inn and like we're traveling and it's just us like that sort of thing. Um, but then there's also like the letters, which is really cool. And I think the thing that I, I really like here is that there's there's a lot of exploration of consent. One of the terrible things that you find out, and I, I this is not a spoiler or anything, but like one of the terrible things you find out is that, you know, Marion had a really bad pregnancy and bad delivery, and she basically married this Duke because she had to, so it's not like the sex was enjoyable either. So she has like a really hard time with penetration of any kind. So there's like a lot of steamy scenes without any P to V of any kind. I'm just going to say it like that. Um, and, and then like there's so there's like a really like emotional scene about like him being like, hey, do you want to like try this? You know, like and she's like, I don't know. I, I want to try it with you, whatever. And it just does not go well. And the way that Kat Sebastian handles this is amazing um and it really develops rob and marion's relationship and characters even further um so if you're looking for something that's like refreshingly different um that's a uh, male female romance there I, I believe they're both bisexual i know rob's for sure is um this is uh, the book for you it's like it's like really i think unique take on um kind of the attraction that people can have towards one another um, and their personalities also just balance each other out very well. I really, really enjoyed this book. You don't have to read um, the first one in the London Highwaymen series to enjoy this. It certainly doesn't hurt because the side characters are also in there. But um, yeah, Sebastian knocks out of the park again. I hope that was appropriate to say. I don't know, but we're talking about romance, so it happens. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think so. 
I think it's important to bring yeah. up the reasons that you liked the book. And if there was something in the romance that was done in a really respectful and creative way, mm-hmm. it's worth calling out. I love the one bed trope. So oh, me too. I, too. I really do. <laughs> it's so good. It never gets old for me. It never, never gets, gets old. old. It never gets old, no matter how predictable the I setup. <laughs> like the second they go in the end, you're like, okay, so there's going to be one bed, but that's okay. I want that. Yeah, exactly. Perfection. That brings us back to Kristen oh, for man. your final pick. Yes, uh, this was very difficult because there are many great books that I read this year. Um, But the last book I'm going to talk about is Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. This is another debut novel that came out this year. Uh, It also is part of the Goodreads Choice Awards for 2022. So if you read this and loved it as well, you can go vote for it. Uh, This is a literary fiction novel. And it is a very layered story about family and the secrets that we keep from our families. Uh, And specifically, this is about Eleanor Bennett, who just died. And she left her children, Byron and Benny, with a frozen black cake and a recording of a story that Eleanor must tell them. And Byron and Benny don't really talk anymore. They don't get along. They have um, a very difficult relationship. And part of that is because Byron is very headstrong. He is very upset with Benny about things that happened in their past. And um, Benny has basically just been trying to get through her life. She had some really difficult things that happened in her past. And the thing is, they're not communicating. And that's kind of one of the themes of this novel is communication and the things that we tell each other and the things that we don't tell each other and how that affects the way that we see people. So this story has a couple of different timelines. You have the present day where Byron and Benny are together uh, after the death of their mother and they're trying to deal with, you know, what's going on there and this story that their mother is telling them. And then we have a timeline that takes place in Jamaica in maybe like the 60s, I want to say. And it is about this young girl who is being brought up by her father and who loves to swim and uh, is later, a little later, as she becomes a young woman, is accused of murder and has to flee. And she flees to England. And so we follow this young woman's path along with seeing what's going on with Byron and Benny. This was so beautifully told. And I found throughout the years that I really love a dual timeline kind of a novel, uh, if it is well done. And this is a book where that is very well done. Um, The characters are very believable. you start off, and at least for me, I was like, I'm really annoyed with Byron. I don't like this guy. And then as it continues going and you kind of get more of his uh, mindset and his internal debates with himself and what's going on there, you start to understand. Same thing with Benny, where it's here you have this like perspective at the very beginning. And then as you read more about them, you start to understand them better. And it's just such a beautiful book. I really enjoyed this one. It was fantastic. 
Jane, I know you really loved this book as well, right? I did. It was so, so good. Just a family saga with a little bit of cooking thrown in for fun and like traditions and origin stories. And it, it was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing. Black cake is, um, it's this Jamaican recipe for uh, a cake that has been passed on throughout the years. And, um, that was such a beautiful part of the book too, because it's something that Eleanor made with Benny and Benny now has the recipe memorized. And I feel like a lot of us have that in our families where it's, you know, either these traditions or these recipes that have just been passed on for years and years and years, and no one's written it down, but everyone knows how to make it. I love that. I feel like I've been hearing really good things about that book for quite a while now. So it's, I went, it's already on my want to read list on Goodreads. So I just got to move it back up into the queue. And every single person that I'm friends with that's read it gave it four or five stars. So it sounds like it's a crowd pleaser across all kinds of different reading tastes. With that, Jane, what is your last pick? So my last pick is Now is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson. I love Kevin Wilson. It is no secret. I devour everything that he has written. Um, This one is so bizarre, but in the very best way. Um, It's hard to describe, but I'm going to try. So our story starts with an author named Francis Eleanor Budge getting a phone call from a journalist and asking her if she knows anything or has any information about the Coalfield Panic of 1996. Um, From there, we learn what is the Coalfield Panic of 1996 and what caused it. And it is very different than what you might think would cause a panic in a small Tennessee town. So we travel back in time with Frankie, who is Francis at 16, goes by Frankie. She is a total loner, doesn't really have many friends. Um, She's kind of an outlier in her small town. And she meets a fellow loner named Zeke. And the two become fast best friends. And over the course of a summer, they start kind of a bizarre art movement. So Frankie has this phrase poem stuck in her head and she writes this poem down and tells Zeke about it. And he's inspired. He's an illustrator. He's an artist. So he illustrates uh, the poem and they create these art posters that they then plaster all over their town with the help of an old Xerox machine that Frankie's parents have just have sitting in their garage. Once this poster is plastered everywhere, the whole town is wondering, what is this? Is it a movement? Is it a cult? Is it a religious sect? Is it, um, you know, a rebel group? And in the 90s, of course, satanic panic comes into the, the, the question here. And the whole town starts to just kind of panic over these posters. And crimes start to happen and crimes are blamed on the poster. And um, before they know it, things have kind of spiraled out of control. Um, And this becomes a little bit of an obsession for Frankie. Um, So it's weird, but so stinking good. I can't describe it the way that I would love to, but you have to read it. I highly recommend it. It will stick with you long after you finished. You had me pretty much like at two teens and like a summer interaction and then we come back years later I do love a good a good coming of age story like one fateful summer type of thing 
Yes. Amazing. And then Holly, what is your last pick? My last pick is Unlikely Animals by Annie Hartnett. And I haven't even finished reading this one, but I had to talk about it. I made pretty good progress last night at four in the morning when I couldn't go to sleep. So (laughs) this one, though, it's just what I needed right now. And I can't wait to gift it to everyone I know for their next birthday. So get ready, girls. (laughs) This story is an excellent character novel, which I mentioned before. I'm just a sucker for. And we get to know the Starling family living in a small town called Everton, New Hampshire, interspersed with chapters by 19th century naturalist Ernest Harold Baines and otherwise narrated by the ghosts of Everton's deceased residents. And this might sound like a lot, but the author does it flawlessly, sometimes with a lot of lightheartedness, uh, a healthy dose of dark humor, and some deadpan delivery that just cracks me up every time. A fun fact is that Baines was a real person, uh, New England's own Dr. Doolittle, So there are some photos and everything, him with his animals and things like that, that I'm also really getting a kick out of. Uh, The book begins with the daughter, Emma, returning home after dropping out of med school to help take care of her dying father, Clive Starling, who happens to see ghosts in his adult state. Emma used to have a magical healing touch, but she's since lost the ability and upon returning home is feeling pretty lost in general. She winds up taking a job substitute teaching this really charming and adorable fifth grade class in town, and she starts spending her time helping her father search for her old missing best friend, who is assumed to be dead by the authorities amidst a townwide heroin epidemic. So the backdrop to this whole story in town is kind of also, you know, I don't want to say timely, but it's um, it's a theme we see we see a lot these days in books and unfortunately in real life. But there are a lot, a lot, a lot of hilarious and mortifying situations that the characters, especially Clive, gets into. And the commentary by the dead narrators is spot on. And I'm intentionally not tearing through this one uh, in a single night, as I'm known to do, because I'm really enjoying savoring it a few chapters at a time, especially with the back and forth sort of between like the family story and then the little blurbs that are written slash narrated by Baines himself talking about his wife and his animals, um, things like that. Because the father, Clive Starling, he sees Ernest Harold Baines. They're like friends, uh, but one of them is dead already. So I can't wait to see where that goes. Um, If the last third of this book winds up taking a terrible turn, I'm going to be so mad. (laughs) I don't foresee that happening, but uh, mark my words, I'll be back on this podcast to talk shame on unlikely animals if it doesn't end well. (laughs) See, and this is why I love having friends who read things totally different than I do, because I don't think I personally would have been like, oh, this is my thing, but you talking about it. And I just opened the sample and Libby and I'm immediate. Yes. This looks fantastic. So this sounds really good. Let us know how it actually. Oh, I definitely will. It was actually a recommendation from Nick, (laughs) account manager, Nick at Overdrive. And I think he had said Kate had read it as well. So all the Overdrive uh, team is going to slowly make their way through this book. So then we can have an entire uh, podcast about this book, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Unlikely Animals Book Club. Mm -hmm. I love that. And so that brings us to Maria and your final pick of the best things you've read in 2022. Yeah. And this is another one where I feel like uh, I could just be like, book lovers, discuss. 
um, because I feel like everybody read it and loves it. So I will talk about it a little bit, but please like chime in your love for book lovers. So Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Uh, this came out in May 2022. I think it might be my favorite Emily Henry. I feel like I'd have to reread Beach Read just to, in case, but I think I, I think Book Lovers might be it with like capital I. Um, but uh, Nora Stevens is the main character. Her life is books, but she's not your typical romance novel heroine. She's she's not laid back. She's not necessarily very like plucky in any way. Um, she is uh, honestly just like a she's a working woman, and she is uh, I I don't know am I allowed to say badass because she is at her job. Um, so she's a a literary agent. Um, and she pretty much just like is married to her job and tries to make sure that she has uh, a good relationship with her little sister, Libby. She can't really say no to Libby. She agrees to go to Sunshine Falls, North Carolina for the month of August because Libby's like, I want to do this trip away and we're going to go to a small town and you're just going to have, you're just going to love it, all this stuff. Um, and uh, instead of like the usual, like, oh, little, you know, like, um, hometown bakery shop picnics in in the forest or run-ins with like handsome bartender um, or like a um, country doctor which cracks me up um, sorry she keeps bumping into Charlie Lastra who she knows from New York as an editor um, and he's very bookish he's kind of like he's like brooding but I feel like not I think the thing I love about Charlie is he's not brooding and you're like typical brooding like male character in a romance way he's more like academically brooding or something like that i don't know um but i don't like i i like that he's not like the hulking kind of brooding um and it would be a mute cute but they are they know each other already from working in the same kind of, kind of field um they keep being thrown together in a series of coincidences um there's a, a bookshop that charlie's family owns and Nora is doing some work there because she's really trying to, to still not really take a vacation um, is what's happening. And there's a lot of other, I don't want to, you know, go through the whole plot, but there's a lot of other um, dealing with loss to dealing with things in the past that are, are coming up for both of them. And they just kind of have their own things to deal with. And they really end up supporting each other um, in their own ways through this. And I think I think one thing I love about Emily Henry's novels is that she puts as much emphasis on the relationship of the self to the self and the relationship to others that are not the romantic partner while still being able to actually like craft a really good romance novel. Um, so I just love that. Um, and, and again, I don't know if I like Charlie and his different types of swooning because I'm a librarian. I don't know, but hopefully you guys know what I'm talking about. But I, I think also a lot of professional working women can relate to Nora in some way, even if they're not like a hardcore literary agent, just the way she kind of goes through life. It resonated a lot with me who uh, I'm way too busy for my own good. And I can say that uh, for myself. So I saw a lot of that um, as well for myself, but Anyway, oh my gosh, it's just so good. I loved it, loved it, loved it. It's so good. I love the setup for this book too, because basically at the very beginning of the book, Nora is getting dumped and uh, then yeah, this continues right. to happen to her. And she is basically the like 
evil girlfriend in a, um, a Hallmark movie, the one who's like, you have to come back. You have to fire all those people. Um, that's how it's set up, that she is this woman who it's like, this is what we're doing. Who would ever want to live in a small town? That's mm-hmm. gross. That's not for me. Like, I don't wear anything but six inch heels all the time. So it's this like redemption story of this woman who's always thought of as she the uh oh gosh what am I I I can't think of the word but she is not the heroine of most of these Hallmark movies Mm -hmm. um and in this book it's you know she's the heroine of her own novel and it's so beautiful and like Maria said I love that you know, Libby has things going on. Libby, who is Nora's sister, there's something going on there. And then, you know, you have these side characters who have a story. And I just loved that on top of having this incredible banter between Charlie and Nora that uh, had me like giggling as I was reading it. (laughs) And I think for the majority of this novel, I had a stupid smile on my face. It was very fun to read and just a very good feel-good novel. How many chili peppers do we give it, girls? <laughs> a good amount. I would say I, a good amount. Like if we're going with as like the highest, I'd say probably like three and a half, four. Yeah. Like out of five? More. Out of five. Out of five. Yeah. Maybe like oh three and a half. Yeah, three and a half, I'd say. I was it's like, Holly, spicy. I feel like you're judging us. I'm going with- to withhold my vote then. I was going to say two. <laughs> I was going to say one and a half or two because there is steaminess, but there's not a lot of it. No, I guess no. you're right. I, I, More I, of a yeah. slow burn, which I like. Yeah. It was it is slow like burn, yeah. good steam when it happened. Very yes, good yes. steam. Is maybe yeah. what I'm remembering. Yeah. I know. I don't know. Eva, so maybe maybe, th- maybe three. I read it a very long time ago. <laughs> I was going to say I read it a long time ago. Um, I would also the say this is a podcast. good romance for people that don't always read romance. Yes, I would agree with that. Because I don't I, love romance as a genre generally, but I love this one book. Yeah. I felt yeah. that way about Beach Read as well. Yeah, I, I feel like it, it's just like, yeah, if, if you're not a typical romance reader, like these are, these are great novels. Like, yeah. I've marketed it, it to many many a friend and family member as such not big romance readers but really here I am again on my bullshit with character novels (laughs) I agree Holly there's enough character development that you're not just yes it's not just trope after trope after trope Mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's it exactly yeah. It's such oh. a good book. It's and so if you want to hear what Emily Henry has to say about book lovers, check out the interview I did with her yeah. earlier this year, which I'll link in the show notes. Yeah. She's also a delightful interview. Like I just I like listening yeah. to her talk. She's yeah. great. She's fantastic. I'm very I'd like much to be looking, friends with her. Looking yeah, forward to her book out next year. But I'm yes. almost nervous. I already about started it. it. Did you? Yeah. I we we like all saw that it was. An arc was available. And we were all like, ah. I started it on the airplane this weekend. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh. So we'll save that for a future episode yes. when we've all Absolutely. read the next Emily Henry book. Happy yes. place. So basically this is now a uh, Emily Henry fan club convention. <laughs> yes. And she has to come back and talk about it with us again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's actually a requirement. Yes. That would be the dream. 
So that was a really wonderful selection of books that are both new and old that we've read in 2022. Thank you all for joining on this sort of bookish grab bag episode. It's always a delight to chat books with you for my job and not for my job. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having us. This is so fun as always. Thanks everybody. And happy reading. If you read any of these books, let us know, message us on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter. We are at ProBookNerds. You can send us an email at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. I always forget to do this at the top. So if you've listened to the end, uh, send a note and say you did. Thanks, everybody. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an evergreen podcast signature program. To learn about other evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.